Good morning, good evening. This is Philippe Lecour. Uh, I'm a research fellow with the Harvard Kennedy School and also a non-resident fellow with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And I'm glad to welcome or to host or to be the host of my colleague Eric Bradberg, who is also at Carnegie and was the director of the Europe program and a fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in Washington. Hello, Eric. Hi, Philippe. So let's start with a we're going to talk about China and Europe mainly, but um, in a sort of transatlantic perhaps context. And let's start, Eric, if you don't mind, talking about uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, the US Secretary of State, visiting Europe for the past few days and visiting a number of countries. And what I understand, and, and perhaps you would agree with me, is that China has been uh, on, 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 the to on top of his list of uh, items to discuss with his European counterparts. Absolutely, Philippe. You, we had Secretary Mike Pompeo visiting Central Europe this week, and he gave a speech uh, entitled Securing Freedom in Europe, in which he mentioned China, I think, almost 40 times, uh, whereas he only mentioned Russia very briefly and, curiously enough, hardly mentioned um, the situation in Belarus, which is unfolding um, as we speak. Um, and I think it, it's somewhat reflective of, of the Trump administration's approach of wanting to sort of um, push Europe to take a harder stance on China. I think in some ways they've had some success in doing so, especially when it comes to 5G. And during Pompeo's trip, we had Slovenia adding to the list of so far mostly Central European countries um, signing agreements, MOUs with the US on cooperating on, on 5G. But I think broadly speaking beyond that, um, transatlantic cooperation on China um, has really been, I think, um, a missed opportunity under Trump uh, at a time when there is perhaps growing convergence between the U.S. and the EU on at least some of the economic and trade issues pertaining to China. That has not translated into any kind of substantial uh, transatlantic cooperation. And I think in many ways this has to do with, I think, Trump's counterproductive policies towards Europe, uh, including starting trade wars with Europe, um, his lack of seeing the EU as a key partner, um, his lack of support for 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 democracy and, and multilateralism and this sort of very heavy handed U.S. approach. Uh, we'll see if this new idea of an EU-U.S. strategic dialogue in China that Borrell and Pompeo have discussed, if that can translate into into some more concrete actions. But I think most Europeans are probably holding their breath and, and hoping and waiting for a potential Biden administration to settle in. Yeah, in fact, I mean, probably in, in Beijing as well. I mean, this kind of soft diplomacy uh, taking place just uh, 80 days before the U.S. election is uh, is a little bit uh, late. It sounds very late to me, but uh, it's interesting, obviously, that we are uh, talking about uh, Europe and China. Um, obviously, it, it sounds like a, a, a secondary subject uh, if we if we discuss, you know, the the, the, the sort of the, the, the China-U.S. Uh, relationship or, of conflict or conflict, I should say, which has been going on for for a couple of years now. But obviously, um, I mean, you and I have been talking and writing uh, together about this issue of uh, the big shifts, really, in, in, in Europe, uh, particularly in, uh, in Western Europe, but in some of the countries that, that the Secretary of State visited as well, uh, on China and how to deal with the rise of China. And I think one of the most uh, extraordinary uh, shifts, perhaps, has been the UK under uh, the current prime minister, uh, suddenly uh, on 5G um, and also on Hong Kong, uh, 
the current conservative government in London has taken a different stance, very, very much closer to the Trump administration, uh, to push back uh, uh, Chinese influence in uh, in the UK, economic influence, but also on Hong Kong. As we know, there's a there's a treaty between the UK and China that was signed in 1984, and and and, and London has decided to offer. Um, uh, you know, uh, up to three million uh, Hong Kong uh, British overseas passports holders to 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 come to the UK if if they wish. But also, you know, France, Germany, uh, the the big three have have uh, taken a, a much stronger uh, stance vis-à-vis China. Uh, both on the economic level, uh, there's you know there are talks about having a, a bilateral investment treaty that is not moving very fast, to say the least. Um, but also, you know, statecraft uh, has been an issue, um, state aid from the Chinese uh, state um, uh, for to companies such as Huawei, one of the 5G players. I think, you know, the, the mood is shifting in, in Europe. But also, you know, COVID has been an issue, obviously. Um, uh, and uh, a lot of people in Europe think uh, that... Um, uh, perhaps uh, China is the country where it all started. If you look at uh, the recent opinion polls on on, on uh, the European views of China, uh, they have all worsened. I mean, whether we talk about Denmark, France, Sweden, Germany, it's all um, it's all worse than it was. So, in a way, you know, uh, it's not just the U.S.-China uh, issue. It's also um, uh, U.S. Uh, sorry, Europe and China. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Philippe, for a very good conversation. And let's continue doing this um, at another time very soon. Thank you, Eric. Nice talking to you.